In the beginning, God said, let us make Adam, man, humanity, our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, his image. May I just point out that they were perfectly innocent. Perfectly innocent. While they were perfect in every way, humanity was at its peak at its very beginning. Their bodies were flawless without the slightest imperfection perfectly beautiful to behold. Their minds were razor sharp, capable beyond anything we've known, uh, although limited as we are, but not to the extent we are. <clears throat> their minds were truly beautiful as well. And lastly, their spirits. Imagine looking into the eyes of a person whose thoughts of you are perfectly pure. Perfectly pure. I mean, there's no chance that this person would ever do anything opposed to your will, nor anything that would harm you. In fact, their entire being is dedicated to fulfilling your needs. And your entire being is dedicated to fulfilling their needs. So complete is this mutual self-giving that even the concept of using people does not exist. No one would ever seek their own benefit at all, and certainly never at another's expense. Perfectly innocent, physically, mentally, spiritually, not the slightest flaw in their characters, no defect perfectly reflected in their minds and in their bodies. So take a moment. Imagine a world where this perfect, perfect self-giving exists. How'd you do? <laughs> Even if we think we get it for just a moment, <laughs> it collapses. <laughs> <clears throat> under the weight of our reality. We, we, the truth is we can't do it. Uh, we can't even picture such a world. That's how flawed we are. So flawed and far from innocent is this world that we can't imagine. So how could something so exquisite, so gloriously sublime, become <clears throat> what we have today? Well, we read some of it last time we were here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and then you will be like God knowing good and evil. Satan's lie boils down to this simple proposition. God is not pure in his motives. He is trying to use you to keep you under his thumb. And the woman was deceived, 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Translation, she bought the lie that God did not care for her in perfect purity, that he was, in fact, keeping from her something good. She wanted it, so she changed her motives. She purposefully and consciously did something that she knew was against the wishes of someone she loved. Someone who loved her. And her husband, standing right next to her, (laughs) joined her. And the result is sad beyond belief. Well, we've seen some of the end result ourselves. It's bad. But I'm talking about right then. The results in Adam and Eve themselves, they look at each other and realize that there is no turning back. Once they chose to go against the will of one person, there was nothing to stop them from going against the will of another. They could no longer perfectly trust one another. There was no more innocence. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I've told you these are brilliant people. The keenest minds any mere human has ever possessed. Their brilliant response to this dire circumstance. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Are you kidding me? (laughs) This is your great response. If you can't see us, we can pretend it never happened. (laughs) What kind of infantile reaction is this? Well, it's kind of what you'd expect when innocence is lost. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not? To eat. Good and piercing questions. Adam's answer? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. <laughs> now, ladies, think about this. Your perfect husband, in whose eyes just moments ago you could look with absolute trust, he stabs you in the back. And men recognize that the man didn't just turn on his own wife. He also blamed the one who created him, the woman you gave me. (laughs) He blamed the one who gave him everything, life, and yes, a perfect wife. The woman follows her husband into the blame game. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In a few moments, these two went from perfect, self-giving purity to finger-pointing, backstabbing, self-focused corruption. Can you imagine the longing they must have had to return to blameless innocence? To be once again children of God without blemish. I mean, do we not long for this perfection of soul? an ability to perfectly trust one another as we were created to do. Oh God, can you please, please 
Give us this innocence and purity of soul. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish. Uh, Wait, Paul. (laughs) You don't get it. We can't actually be blameless and innocent. We can't even imagine it. We can't be cleared of all those blemishes. Can we? The words that Paul wrote are inspired. (laughs) They are what God wanted said. The Philippian church was a good group of people. And hey, we're good bunch of people, but blameless and innocent children of God without blemish? They're supposed to be that? And I'm pretty sure we, by extension, are supposed to be innocent. Can we possibly, in any way, return to Eden, be like the first man and woman before they fell into sin? Our very bodies, and certainly minds, reflect the imperfections of our souls. The blemishes are clear to see in our flesh and quickly discerned in the working of our minds. But the Holy Spirit himself inspired this text. So somehow we are to achieve this innocence. We'd better back up a little. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my own presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Obey. Must start by obeying. Why would we obey God? That's the right thing to do. Yeah, but that's not what I mean. What would drive us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? And the picture that Paul is drawing is of a person with intense desire to achieve something. Why would we have such an all-consuming passion to follow Christ? Because we trust him. Because he gave himself in total self-sacrifice for us on the cross. That's what Paul talked about just before this as he sang that beautiful Christ hymn. And he asked them to have this same mind. What mind? That self-sacrificing, absolutely self-giving, other-focused life. Ah, sort of like what Adam and Eve had before they fell. Blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. I don't know, Paul. <laughs> That's a pretty tall order. Can you can you hear them saying that? <laughs> I think so. And can you hear me saying that? I don't know, Paul. That's a pretty tall order. <laughs> and it is. But we want to do it. We trust Jesus. He gave everything for us. Let's do it. How do we start? Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Ah, <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> First of all, that's simple, pretty elementary. Isn't there something bigger that we can do? No, this is it. (laughs) This is our start, and you, you did want to know how to get started, right? Besides, think of it. What was Eve's issue? Let's see. I have a perfect life with a perfect loving husband and a perfect relationship with my creator, all the food I want, all of it good for me, it tastes wonderful, perfect weather, no tough chores to do, everything is perfect, except 
except why can't I eat that fruit? Why should I be restricted in anything? Why can't I have my way? What are you trying to keep from me, God? Questioning and grumbling, grumbling and questioning. Do you long for the perfect life that no human being but the first two have ever enjoyed? Stop asking about what you don't have. Why other people have what you can't have? Grumbling because you aren't getting what you want. Grumbling because people aren't living like you want them to. Instead, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what we wanted, right? For other people to count us more significant than themselves, right? That's what we wanted. If my wife would have respect for me, then I'd love her like she wants. Maybe you've heard this one. If those people in church would do what they were supposed to, then maybe I'd start going. But until they do what they're supposed to do, they can forget it. <laughs> you may have heard, heard other. If I get what I want, then I'll do what they want. Statements. This is grumbling and questioning. It's sin. In the Old English, it was translated murmurings and disputings. Some other modern translations use words like arguing, complaining, disputing. I mean, are you getting this? All of it's saying the same thing. Stop looking out for yourself. Stop looking out for yourself. Humanity wasn't designed to operate this way. The human machines, civilized society, think relationships was designed from beginning to work this way. Give yourself away. Give yourself away. That's it. Never once ever try to take care of yourself first. Oh, you got to take care of yourself or you won't be any good to anyone else. No. <laughs> if every human being on the planet was first trying to take care of every other human being, there would be no need for you to be concerned with yourself. But the moment one person focuses on themselves first, grumbling and questioning starts. How come she never has to? How come he gets to? It's okay to examine yourself, necessary, in fact, but we will never be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish if we're looking to our own interest first. We need to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world Oh, I'm nuts. <laughs> I had hoped that this was all theoretical. One day in the distant future when Christ returns, you need to be blameless and innocent. But no, no, no. The man says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Anybody wonder if our time qualifies? <laughs> we have a law that says two men marrying is the same thing as a man and woman marrying. Well, that's brain dead in a biological and intellectual sense, let alone a moral and spiritual. So why does such a law exist? Because we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse people. 
So here we are. Do we shine as lights in the world? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Believers are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. The light in the world. What would be a good work that would qualify as light and cause people to give glory to our Father who is in heaven? How about no grumbling or questioning of God in his word? (laughs) No grumbling or questioning of our rights. No grumbling or questioning about our sisters and brothers in Christ. Just living selflessly. Without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word. You see, it's one thing to say, let's do it. It's another thing to actually have the means to do it. (laughs) You may remember my propensity to hand out those Bible reading daily checklists. You can even download them off our website for free, by the way. We even give away Bibles for free. Why do we do this? Because if you aren't reading and studying the word of life most every day, you have no chance of achieving blamelessness and innocence. Just learning the word of life isn't, of course, enough. Paul said it this way, the natural, that is the unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. James said it less specifically and hence more simply, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you think you can play Christianity, you're sorely mistaken. Any believer not regularly studying the word is, at best, a pitiful light. If you ever visit the Minnetonka Cave in southern Idaho, you'll be treated to an interesting experience, they'll turn out the lights (laughs) completely. Uh, Depending on the guide, you may see them light one little light. Sometimes they bring a candle. It's obvious, of course, but it lights up nothing more than whatever's a few feet around it. I'm more in line with the Northwest experience. A forest in the middle of the night yeah, can give you much the same perception. One little pitiful flashlight doesn't do much to quell your fears when you hear that eerie noise somewhere out there. When you can't even identify the source of your fears, how can you ever hope to find an answer? If we are a dismal light for Christ because we never attended a single class or Our Bible skills could be sharpened or we have no way to allay the fears of those who would seek Christ. And if the only Bible intake a Christian has is Sunday morning when they half listen to the message, they're starving. And none of us do that, but, you know, other people. (laughs) The question is still there, though. Do we think our souls less valuable than our bodies? Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Are our minds set on the living word which came by the Spirit through human authors? Is your mind well focused 
Well, let's count. How much time do we spend per day watching TV or Facebook or Twitter or whatever internet form you use? How much reading of books and magazines? How much gossip? How much in the living word? Listening, reading, studying, contemplating. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. With your mind, hold fast to the word of life. And then we truly will shine as lights in the world. Well, what kind of lights, real physical lights, did they have when Paul wrote this letter? Well, how did they find direction when they didn't know where they were going? By the lights, the sun, the moon, the stars. When we shine as lights in this crooked and twisted generation, we make it possible for people, real people, to find their way out of the morass of the filth in which Satan has trapped them and into the light of his love. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul's been talking a lot about humility. Now suddenly he turns the discussion on its head and he talks about his being proud. It's kind of actually an amazing correlation Earlier he had spoken of the day of Christ and that then every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. You see it? Paul has so thoroughly buried his life in Christ that he is barely aware that there is a distinction. If God is glorified, he, Paul, will be proud. His work will have value if it results in glory to God the Father. But as Firmly as his mind is fixed on our future glory with Jesus Christ and God the Father through the Holy Spirit, he does not long stray from our need to live in this world and not just the studying and reading of the word of life. He turns to a great concern of his Philippian friends. What's going to happen with you, Paul? Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, we don't have a sacrificial system where they poured out water or wine or even the sacrificed one's blood. But we get the picture clearly enough. Even if it costs Paul everything to teach them of Christ Jesus, he's glad and he rejoices. Uh, The anti-Christian rhetoric in the West is far beyond reasonable, but for the most part, it's just rhetoric, words. It's not a lot of chance that we will have to join Casey Burnell, that young girl at Columbine High School, and answer the question with a gun pointed right at us. Do you believe in God? I know Columbine was a long time ago, but I bring it up for a reason. See, Cassie's youth pastor, when he first met her, long before her death, many months, thought to himself, there's no hope for this girl. Not our kind of hope. The joyless look on her face, the monosyllabic speech which came from her lips, all of it suggested that perhaps Casey was just too far gone. But one weekend, when she was finally convinced to spend some time with the other kids at a youth retreat, everything changed. Said Brad, her father, when she left, she was this gloomy, head-down, say-nothing youth When she came back, her eyes were open and bright and she was bouncy and just excited about what had happened to her and was just so excited to tell us. It was like she was in a dark room and somebody turned the light on 
and she saw the beauty that was surrounding her. Somebody turned the light on. Do we want to turn the light on for people? Are we lights in a crooked and twisted generation? Are we so willing to do that that we are willing to join Cassie and Paul and put our life on the line as a light in the world? Yes? Great. Are you willing to read your Bible every day? <laughs> well, it's kind of humdrum commonplace. I need to be doing something important. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Actually, for those not grounded well in the Word, please don't be out there mucking it up for other people. It's really easy to mess up people's lives when you aren't holding fast to the Word of Life. Mostly because we're not living right, we're not shining like lights, when we are not regularly consuming God's Word. On the other hand, please don't use this as an excuse to do nothing. <laughs> Paul wrote to the church in Rome, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. If you believe, you have a measure of faith. Soberly judge your abilities, think properly about where you are, and act in that knowledge. No matter how weak a light you are, you are a light. <laughs> you may need to stick to simple things like doing good deeds for your elderly neighbor, but you can shine. By the way, to the Philippians, Paul said he would rejoice with them. Well, in what sense? Well, rejoice that they are lights for Christ. So celebrate, rejoice with anyone who is a true believer in Christ, whether they have a greater measure of faith or just starting on their path of faith. God wants us to celebrate with one another. So let's do it. And then, even if someone is being poured out as an offering, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I've mentioned it before. Dr. Sonny Acho, he's a psychologist, an author, devoted follower of Christ. Never feel sorry for anyone. God has them exactly where he wants them. The corollary to which Paul refers, I know I could die here, but people are learning of Christ. Rejoice with me in that. In fact, be glad that I am where I am. Now, if I have to suffer for Christ, yes, yeah, so be it. I'm okay with that. In fact, kind of revel in it. <laughs> but for my wife and kids to suffer, as they have noticeably more since I became a pastor, that's not so easy. How can we rejoice when those we love suffer because of the work of Christ? Well, if we are self-giving, not grumbling or questioning, holding fast to the word of life, we can rejoice with them when they praise God that they have been counted worthy to suffer for Christ. But, but after all this, will we then achieve that perfect blamelessness and innocence, those first two children of God did in Eden. No. And we don't want to. I'm serious. We do not want to go back to Eden. We want to go on through the day of Christ into the new creation. It will be better than Eden. Take a trip back to Eden with me. To that fateful day when... Every child who would ever be born died in Adam and Eve. God made them the most 
astonishing promise, even as he condemned Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Satan would strike the ultimate offspring of Eve, Jesus of Nazareth, but the injury is here pictured as only to the heel. But Jesus will strike Satan's head. Jesus has struck Satan's head. His reign has ended. And as Paul wrote, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's like this. Satan won't be around to tempt anyone in the new creation. And we've already experienced sin. It won't interest us. (laughs) Nor in any way tempt us ever again. We won't be blameless and innocent children of God without blemishes like our first parents will be better because our blamelessness will be earned through Jesus Christ. Our innocence will be a gift of his grace. Our perfect purity will be derived from his perfect holiness. Unlike those first innocent humans, we will have a knowledge of good and evil and evil will have no sway over us. True, true. Their innocence was not theirs. They were created with it. But our innocence will be ours, only not through any work of our own, but through Jesus Christ. Humanity will finally reach its perfection. Our bodies will be flawless, without the slightest imperfection, and perfectly beautiful to behold. Our minds will be capable beyond anything we've ever known. We'll still be finite, but our minds will be truly beautiful without any flaw. And our spirits, our spirits, we will look with clear eyes into every other person's eyes with no fear, no regrets, complete self-giving. None of us will ever grumble or question evermore. For now, we can do quite well. (laughs) Shining as lights in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation, if we will hold fast to the word of life and not grumble or question. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to visit us online at southbeachhope.org. We are so pleased that we can worship with you via sermon.net, but hopefully we'll someday be able to praise God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture. <laughs>